you're here for the Geek Pride cast on this Monday evening. Uh, with me tonight, we have my co-host, Peter Allison. Good evening, everyone. And our special guest for today, Charlie Menzies. Hello, thanks for having me. I did pronounce your second name properly, didn't I? Uh, yes, no, yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> just... I like how we check in this now, live, and in the show. I just went, I, did, I just rolled the dice. I just rolled the dice and, you know, went with it, and there you go. Um, <laughs> okay, so, Charlie, who are you? What do you do? What's your thing? Tell us about yourself. Oh, so I'm uh, the lead creative over at Parable Games. Um, so we've kind of been releasing pretty much like horror themed games uh, now for the kind of past couple of years um our kind of main product uh, that we've made so far is shiver which is a play your very own scary movie on the tabletop so you can play anything from stranger things to scream to scooby-doo to alien as long as there's something spooky a bit scary going on with it you can run it with shiver um so yeah so, so, so that's who i am so i i wear quite a few hats with quite a small company so i'm kind of on like lead writer lead creative i do a bit of the layout as well as like some business bits and um being boots on the ground at conventions which is where i met peter you per, um, yeah, per like bastard the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was, I was at the um, the derbyshire edition of the uk comic con and game festivals and yeah like i say one thing that kind of uh, stood out when I saw you saw you guys at the stand was like your game is very horror agnostic. If you look at like most horror role playing games, like for example, Call of Cthulhu is it can only really run investigative horror. Uh, if you look at Cult, that's always kind of real kind of um, uh, cosmic horror. If you look at say vampire it's generally personal horror but you've gone for a very kind of a broad approach from like say from scooby-doo all the way through to hellraiser which is impressive thank you yeah no it's um i would say it's it definitely came from my love of like horror movies particularly kind of b movies and the broad spreads that you can have i mean i've always said like horror is a broad church and i think it's one of the most diverse of kind of genres, whether it's kind of in cinema or kind of in literary works, um, comics, whatever, games. It's 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 got an extremely broad scope. But for me, with Shivered, the thing I really wanted to achieve was being able to kind of replicate what I loved doing, which was having my friends over for a horror mo- horror movie night. Um, kind of get really absorbed in the kind of who's going to live, who's going to die. Um, kind of wrap it all up relatively quickly, and then kind of do it all again next week and that's really like the kind of core of shiver the essence of it of, of what we were going for um in comparison to other kind of very I, I know exactly what you mean kind of more specific um kind of horror uh ttrpgs so what's yeah. what's the difference um between your sort of horror rpg than say say other ones like um oh god i've put myself on the spot now um uh coming back Come on, you uh, can do it. Oh, God. Um, You've played one. You have played Oh, yeah, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah, Call, yeah. Call of the Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, my God. I know. We got, oh, my God. We had him on the, on the podcast recently as well. So, yeah. So, 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 so I'll put my hands up. I'm a big Call of Cthulhu fan. Abs- yeah. Absolutely love it. 
Um, so kind of when we're drawing comparisons, just want people to know I don't dislike Fulu. Love it. It's it's one of my favourite other kind of RPGs to play. Um, still kind of regularly play it. But I think as Peter said, it's um, one of the things kind of where its strength is is in that investigative, but also its temporal setting of horror. It's very that 1920s running around the streets of Arkham, you know, trying to find out who the fish man is. It's it knows what it's about and it does that very, very specific setting temporally as well as the kind of threats that you face very, very well. Um, with Shiver, where we differ is that setting agnostic approach to horror. So we can approach anything kind of that has a horror element, whether it's um, and also give you tools to modulate that level of horror as well, which is really, really important. Call of Cthulhu, I would say, is relatively difficult to modulate for younger players. Um, our game, we it's why we always use like Scooby-Doo and Strange Things as kind of like a, a slightly kind of lower end spooky example as whilst then we've got like hellraiser and scream and alien kind of more and that more at the top um i think the thing is is that uh one of the things i wanted to approach with it where we kind of differ is that cinematic um approach um in terms of like our references but also how that bleeds into the game and all of its mechanics to really try and make you feel like you're playing a movie um was very very important to us and also giving um a common language that people understand like people understand um age ratings and cinema lingo from just you know rocking up to an odeon and buying a cinema ticket so when you apply that so we do that with our adventures we, we have um, the shiver border classification for example that we slap at the beginning of our adventures which gives you um content warnings it gives you age guidance um but then we also then include things of like if you want to move you know something from a 15 to a 12a this is what you can do for certain adventures so um, so a bit of context my background before moving into game design was in film and tv okay. so it, it was kind of my thought was kind of how can we bring some of the approaches story structure pacing um and also just general love letter to cinema especially horror cinema to the tabletop so i'd say that broadly is, is what kind of makes us very very different um from something like call of cthulhu which has its very specific focus in a, what i would say its own corner of horror we're trying to explore the genre as a whole and also make horror accessible to all the kind of corners of the ttrpg space um whether you're a young player a new player a veteran we kind of and as long as you've got a horror idea we want to make it feel like those players can jump on shiver and play it and use it to kind of whatever they want to play so what's your uh what's your sort of kind of main mechanic uh is it d20s what's your what do you use so so we use a completely new die system it's called the archetype die system so it's a dice pool system that uses um two different symbolic dice so first up we have our skill die uh, which is a six-sided die which has a, a differing symbol on every single face each symbol represents one of your core skill areas so um off the top of my head they are grit wit smarts heart luck and strange um they pretty much do exactly kind of what you'd expect to this on the tin grit is like your analog for strength and fortitude wit for dexterity of body and mind smarts for puzzle solving you know in, you know working with complex machinery um big old sci-fi weapons sometimes kind of uh, interact with smarts quite a lot in our game hearts is both sides of that charisma coin if you want to be charming and schmoozing or intimidating and lying um that that's where kind of hearts lies then luck is just pure chance um so 
that that can be rummaging around in the bag and landing on like the lucky item rolling a luck check to see you know when the killer drops down a tree does it land on you or does it land on your friend next to you um and then finally it wouldn't be a horror game without something that was a bit strange so with strange um that is for using any powers that uh, are kind of beyond the line of um like normality so that could be like changing into a werewolf um, it could be, you know, using dark magic, um, kind of, you know, any kind of Cthulian type rituals um, would be rolling off strange. And it's also what your characters use to um, resist fear, um, because the f- the further into the world of the strange you are, the less like you, you are going to be afraid. Um, but if that's something you're not used to, then your character is more likely uh, to be affected by fear. So so that's our skill die. Mm-hmm. And then if you're really good at something, you get talent die. Uh, which has a talent symbol on which is a little star um and that's a universal success for everything that isn't strange and strange is represented on the dice separately as well for a very specific reason so depending on how good you are at something if you're really good at something the more dice you roll um and it's as simple as so say you're a warrior archetype and our games we use archetypes so they can kind of fit into any uh time setting any place anywhere um and you want to kick down a door it's a classic check i used to kind of explain this I'd say as the director, so our version of a game master, um, you're going to roll grit. So you have a little top number, um, which determines how many skill die you roll. And if you're talented in that area, you have a number on your character sheet that just t- tells you how many talent die you roll. You roll your dice, and it's as simple as you're looking for fists, which represents uh, grit, and you're looking for stars. And that determines how many successes you get. Depending on how you know sturdy the door is, if it's a rotten wooden flimsy door, you might only need one success, only one symbol. If it was metal, big padlock, metal bar on the other side, you might need two, three, four um, successful symbols in order to succeed. Um, and that's what we call challenge rating. Basically, the harder something is, the more symbols that you need that correlate. Um, and that's and that, it's as simple as that. So, so that is how we resolve every challenge in the game. It works exactly the same for combat as well. And the pool is just modulated um, by um, different layers of uh, vantage, disadvantage, and then also your abilities that feed in as well. So you've got like um so like within Call of Cthulhu so you've you've got you've got Dungeons and Dragons which is all about heroes mm. and sort of kind of fighting and doing sort of things and you've got the complete mm. opposite side where you've got Call of Cthulhu which is you're effectively a mortal man who can die very easily you go very you go crazy if you if you know too mm. much are you sort of kind of in the middle between that is that where you're sort of kind of yeah so, so i say so we kind of fall in the middle and we have a kind of shifting needle depending on what area of horror you want to kind of explore um every, everyone has the same level of hp everyone is human everyone is squishy as i like to kind of put it to them um they all have 16 hp um so there isn't as much kind of variance as there is in cthulhu where if your character is weaker your very your hp can be a kind of one hit kill scenario from the very start we kind of put everyone on a bit more of an equal playing field when it comes out it's more about your abilities and how that keeps you alive however if you want to kind of play something that's a bit more deadly we have um or you want to play something that's a little bit easier um on your players we've split the game into two modes um that you can play so there is survivor mode uh, which is the kind of most common mode that we play where the lifeline uh, we track your 16 hp um basically it's just that it tracks down um to kind of zero and then um you're at death's door and you can roll uh luck saves um basically to try and keep yourself alive until someone can get to you and if you run out of luck you die um nightmare mode is different um so nightmare mode is for anyone who's like a big resident evil fan they really you know they love that kind of survival horror 
uh, vibe or that you know they want that high deadly environment style of like some of the more precarious like Cthulhu adventures um that basically Emerson still got 16 hp but as you lose quarters on your lifeline um certain effects come into place so you lose four hp suddenly you're limping so your character starts to slow down um you know you can kind of take a nasty knot to the head and you kind of lose some of your kind of cognitive function you have to decide what area you're going to dip um kind of in your kind of skill array um and it and it goes on on like that and when you die you die there there isn't there isn't a kind of death saving element with that it's you're really trying to keep your characters away um from kind of being at death's door because there's no saving element there so so, so by splitting it into those two modes um we we generally start people out on survivor mode um but we're finding a lot of people in our community now who really want to do that like kind of horror movie in one night scenario right yeah, um, yeah they've played shiver so much now and they've gotten used to characters dying they've kind of gotten over that taboo of character death um they ramp it to nightmare mode and they just go for it and they're just trawling along with the popcorn watching all of their characters um get killed off um <laughs> but 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 if you want a longer form campaign then, then survivor mode can, can be a better fit so, so so we've kind of again added that modular element of just a slight tweak to how you play um, to allow for both sides. Given the, from the signs of the high rate of character death, mm. how would you kind of keep players involved when the character dies? Yeah, so we have a rule um, in there that is kind of up, up to the director of whoever they want to use, but if a character dies, um, you can turn that player into a ghost. Um, <laughs> so, we, we, so, so, so we use it because we quite often find that um, when a character dies, I'm sure you found this playing RPGs as well, if a character dies... It's very hard to just instantly integrate a brand new character for them to play. So having them be a ghost for a bit keeps them involved and, and usually in a very entertaining way and kind of lightens the load of like having been killed until you can kind of and until you can have a bit of a sidebar or introduce another character for them to play. I mean, we always tend to have and um, suggest having a little stack of like bonus characters that you can introduce at certain points just in case to kind of keep people involved um but with the ghost rules um it's great because it depends on um what the character's relationship has been like with the rest of the group what they're going to do like if it's somebody who dies unexpectedly and they really want to help their friends they might nudge something over like try and give them a clue you know try and warn them that something's going to happen like ahead of them um if someone had killed that person within the group, however, they can then poltergeist it and try and pu- push a bookcase on them and, cr- <laughs> and, and, and try and make and, and become a bit of a hindrance um, and make strange and interesting things happen and change the dynamic of the game slightly. Um, which then also, if someone's playing the weird path where you can talk to the dead, um, uh, it, it gets even funnier of, of, of that. That is still someone who they can interact with in an interesting way. So, yes. So, um, I would say kind of on the other side of that character creation in Shiver is extremely quick. Kind of I'd, I'd say like once you've got the basic rule set down, which takes about kind of 30 minutes, I'd say of reading, you can make character in about 15 minutes. Um, so if somebody does die, they can be a ghost for a bit. And, you know, if you kind of have your, you know, kind of 20 minute break in the middle of your game, someone can quite feasibly have that rather than just be given a pre-gen, they can actually sit down and with director really quickly of being like, I want to play this quickly uh, kind of make up a character um, and then the director can introduce them back into the game. Um, so, cause that was one of the things it was like, if death rates high character creation needs to be fast as well. Um, but the character creation being fast as well was an element as well of um, this idea of accessibility as well of that. Um, 
getting people to the table as fast as possible and not feeling intimidated about character creation um because it was one of the things i found when kind of first embarking on the design process was um a lot of my friends were very interested in ttrpgs but when they heard the word session zero or spending three or four hours figuring out the rules and making a character they kind of were like yeah you know maybe it's not for me kind of thing being like it's like oh come on we're gonna play jurassic park we can make jeff goldblum in 15 minutes they're in like they're 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 (laughs) like oh yeah let's do it that's fine um and 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 i think that that's been our ethos um kind of with character creation definitely were you ever tempted to use the um ogl um system for for the mechanics of the game given like because you mentioned like no because it's you know it's the most widely known system around would the mm. accessibility encourage new players? And did we ever tempted to use that? Oh, you use the five E. Um, yeah. OGL. No. Um. So 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 the so the reason I never was is because Shiver was born out of me having a problem with five E. Um, <laughs> okay. Interesting. So, 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 so to, to explain the kind of origin story of Shiver a little bit, I'll rewind a little bit. Um. So. I had uh, came out of uni and I'd got a job down doing uh, kind of film related stuff in post production in London. Um, I was missing my friends quite a lot, but I'd been writing prose and stuff. And I ended up winning a competition, which um, um, gave me a voucher. Um, it was a Penguin Random House like prose competition. A fun if it was a horror story, um, which allowed me to get all the books. It pretty much burnt the entire voucher of D&D jesus yeah the free getting the free books and dice to get started because i'd played at university um and i'd and i'd run like kind of one or two one shots but i'd never owned the books um physically because because of the price really um so then i started a group with kind of old university friends because we were spread all over the country predominantly screenwriters um and people kind of like working on that side of thing um because that, that was kind of a big part of our training kind of where we all met um was was our dissertation was in screenwriting um in the end um put a group together and we started playing 5e and quite after we played for about i'd say about like kind of four to six months and a lot of issues kind of started to come out um i found with kind of 5e people were getting confused on the math side um that, that like in terms of like the rules like being quite overwhelming and uh, we were playing online as well which i think kind of had some kind of blockades to it um but quite a few of my friends in that group um kind of have dyslexia or dyspraxia um or dyscalculia so there, i was kind of noticing there were so many little for different people with different kind of blockades um that, that were they were finding elements of the system really really tricky to grasp to grab onto and then for me as a gm I was trying to make things horrifying, but as they leveled up a couple of times, I found it increasingly difficult to maintain a horror atmosphere in 5e for me. Um, <laughs> they all turned into superheroes and are unkillable. Yeah, and, and, and that's not a slight at D&D in terms of its system, because ultimately D&D structurally is a hero fantasy. It's a power fantasy, and a power fantasy does not lend itself well to horror i think it's why a lot of the horror content you actually see for dnd caps out at quite a low level there's a reason for it um it's because if you feel too powerful it's the, the there's horror no threat really there's no threat yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, no yeah. When you when you're a barbarian, sticking a vampire comes very easy when you can pick up a table and hit them with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just it's it was. Yeah. I I find that like I've I've tried to give my group, and we've been playing for nearly three years now. Um, we've had a bit of a break because mm-hmm. it's been summer holidays and stuff, but we played for about three years now. And I was always trying to instill this sort of like, you know, you guys could die and stuff, but they keep on sort of coming at their level 12s. Now, there's been a few hair-raising moments where they've come close, but they're all like super powerful and stuff. And it's really hard to sort of get them to a position where, you know, you're being fair, but you've got sort of enough guys in there to give them the threat level that'll sort of make them think seriously without kind of going, let's just set fire to that bridge or let's punch that (laughs) shark in the head or let's sort of, let's do sort of stupid things. And you're just like, come on guys, you know? And I like, then I throw in all these bad guys and I'm thinking, right, this is going to be a challenge. And then they do something like, yeah, well, so, so the last, the last episode we did, I threw in like a really powerful. So we had a thing. We had a bit of a sort of like because you get in D and D groups <coughs> where stuff happens, and um, you know, there's a bit of a sort of kind of like people like it or people don't like it and stuff. So I'd thrown in this really sort of like um, moment where it's like, all right, I don't want them to get past this point. I need them to follow instead of having this sort of kind of uh, open world which they've always had. I kind of wanted to sort of not railroad them but push them in a certain direction so I could get online with the sort of the the story. Mm. And so I threw in all these really hard bad guys and stuff, and I was like, right, they're they're going to have no choice but to do what I need them to do. No, <laughs> they just. Can't <laughs> went on killed everything and then that caused its own problems and then uh, i was like right okay so what i'll do in this one is i'll throw in this sort of secret guy that they don't know about he'll disappear and then he'll they'll have no other option but to sort of do the thing and (laughs) it's like so i'm going to put this spell which is like a stone wall around him so he can't touch the sphere and i was like god damn it and then so it's like so they got through that as well and i was like oh so it's so hard because they all have their sort of kind of like their their powers and as soon as the more they get leveled and i can't track everything because they've all got millions of things that they do and they always come up with just like i've got a really good plan for this and then they go yeah so i've got this spell and i can do this and i can do this and i'm like oh no i forgot about that okay I've- I, I nicknamed it the magical kibosh. I, I, I just, yeah, I had a similar thing of um, forget, forgetting one spell. Um, and then it's like, even if you kind of twist something around so that that's kind of like tries to blockade that spell in some way, then some players can be like, well, no, but that's not how it works. It's like, for the good of the story, please. Oh, <laughs> like, like, just let's. Yeah, I, I spent a, yeah. I spent a long time, and I've said this numerous times. I started off when we first started doing the campaign. I would spend hours, days writing out like journals and writing out sort of kind of doing maps and sort of sorting things out and being like really sort of kind of thorough. But every time they come, like I just wouldn't get to any of the stuff that I'd spent days and hours on because they would go off in a different direction or they'd do something that would bypass that. You know, now and again, I might be able to get back to one of them if they did something, but I just got to the point where I was like, right, I'm just going to have to be a reactionary DM because there's no other way around it. I have to basically just react to what they do. Um, because I've given them an open world and said, you can pretty much do whatever you want, um, you know, just do it. Mm. And then, so 
I was doing this reactionary stuff, and then yeah, that causes its own. It's 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 because they write their own. The good thing about it is they write their own story. They're effectively. I have a beginning, a middle, and an end with certain points that I do get to have, but within those points, they write their whole story and stuff. Like we had a whole, effectively a whole year's worth of campaign that came about because of a side quest that one of two of them did. On some in, in a Discord chat within downtime, and it sort of kind of spilled off into this sort of kind of full year thing. But yeah, it's it's not a it's not a simple thing, and they they are like super overpowered, and it's easy to kill stuff, and you know it's very hard for a DM to to give them that sort of kind of that critical what's the that sort of threat level that makes them think, oh crap, we could actually die die here and stuff. And yeah. it's yeah, so I I feel you, man. I feel you. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure, but where I was, oh, no, to, 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 I sidetracked your apologies. Oh, <laughs> oh no, 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 it's um. I think you were yeah, talking I'm, about. I think you were talking about sort of a more of a simple, not a simple, yeah. well, more of a yes. simplistic style. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so they were struggling. Basically, so, so, so that's that's where I was. So, so, so they were struggling, and we were running into those issues um, a lot of the time because I'd level. They'd leveled up to a certain point. Um, and I think I was noticing this as early as like, you know, getting beyond like level two or three, we were starting to run in kind of to those issues. And I will say this, um, another thing, managing magic and people managing spells. That was one of the biggest things that we I think they struggled with. But um, the thing was, is, is that I think I realized from my side of the table, I was trying to generate cinematic moments, particular horror moments, and it just wasn't working. So I kind of decided just to, like in my downtime, just to scribbling in a notebook, um, kind of a way to like bring the mechanics down, do something a bit simpler, and then just basically let us play um, kind of horror movies or kind of like just movies on the tabletop. And it kind of geared towards horror because I, that, that was kind of my jam and it was something they were really enjoying as well. Um so I ended up just like kind of making it and making a little symbolic dice roller, like kind of for a free app. And we played that for kind of, you know, quite a while. I'd say it's got like kind of maybe like four or five months, um, just of a very, very basic ver- version, um, playing kind of horror moves. And it got to a point where we're realizing, oh yeah, no, we're, you know, in like one to three sessions, you know, we're playing for an entire story, characters having arcs. It's all like rounding off really, really nicely. And, I think because of the way that we were kind of leaning into the cinema aspect of it, no one, re- no one felt railroaded. They felt contained is what I would say. And I mm. think this is where we're kind of winding around because you say we tangented, but I think it's very important with a giant open world, um, which you often find kind of with like fantasy RPGs. And this is something I, I found. It can be really, really overwhelming on both sides of the table. I think for, for, for GM and for players, you get paralysis of indecision um, for the players of where they want to go. And you also get the fear in the GM that they might potentially go to an area that you've not developed yet, or you've not read about, um, or just do something like completely unexpected, um, which then just kind of put you into that reactionary position, which is fine, but it can put you on the back foot um, a little bit more. Also, with horror in particular, um, that kind of uh, kind of trying to make horror work on what I would call open ground, um, where someone could like dash into a city or, or like you know travel somewhere else, becomes quite difficult. Um, and it's kind of where a lot of my screenwriting expertise started to come in. Of basically, all good horror movies um, typically 
like kind of work off of um, a what I would call a lockbox scenario. Um, what you're cha- it ultimately means that your players are contained. It doesn't mean that they're railroaded, but you're ultimately creating of different of varying scales a container um, that a scenario that they can't escape from unless they engage with the story, um, because that's how it kind of works. And that can be being isolated in the woods. Um, it can be you know being stuck on a spaceship. You know, being broken down on an alien planet. Um, there's there's various elements and tropes. The whole cell phone's not working, absolute classic. You know, cell phones not existing, which is one that we found has been an absolute godsend by going uh, temporally agnostic. Um, you know, peasants can't call for help is something we've learned on the mobile phones, which <laughs> makes it very very fun. Um, and just kind of give, give, giving you this lock in, and it's and it doesn't happen kind of straight away. Sometimes you build towards an environment like that, but when you hit it, that's when the horror always ramps up. Um, and, and it's it kind of it's a, a screenwriting trick that I've kind of taken into generally how I do my adventure design um, d- d- tends to revolve around that. Or it's definitely some of the questions that uh, me and the design team are kind of asking ourselves of being that like, what if X run, what if X runs into the woods? Um, or they try and get a boat and, you know, sail across Camp Crystal Lake and get away. Like, what do we do? What what do we put in there? What, what's the dis- what's the disincentive? What's the I mean, they could escape. But like, what's the horror blockade that they're going to have to overcome? That's going to be quite they trip in the woods as they as they run through them. Yeah, they always trip yeah, when they run through the woods. <laughs> yeah, through the woods. I mean, like for us, with, with like slashes, like kind of based in in kind of like so we've got like a camp slash that's on the way. That's going to be our first, one of our first starter boxes. So like somebody running into the woods. Um, the whole background of this, uh, they're, they're they're miles and miles and miles away. So somebody runs out into the woods, even if they get away, they're going to be basically be out of the game. Uh, which is like if that's what they want to do. They can do that, um, but they're, they're, but this kind of like gets into kind of what I'd call like the unspoken kind of contract of like kind of gaming as well, of that you're kind of there to participate in the story and you can take an action that is going to oust you from the story. But if somebody did that, I'd happily let their player get away. I'd just be like, we need to give you another character that can be involved now back at camp. Um, but I might bring them back at the end, you know, with a police officer who's got a shotgun out of Friday the 13th. Like that can work, or they run into the woods, and because of the survivalist background of the slasher, they have to evade a number of traps um, that of increasing difficulty and horror that might end up with them getting captured, maybe not killed. Um, so so th- that's the kind of element that we're kind of putting in there. There's a time element, there's a danger element, there's also a kind of the, the kind of main antagonist element as well. Sla- slashes are great for that. I mean, we have a rule that actually um an ability i should say for the slashes called off-screen teleporter uh which is when if they're not observable um by players you can move them by quite a distance um just just like um kind of in any great slasher movie it makes no sense that they can move that fast um when they're off screen does the slasher get played by another character or is it the gm who plays that or the the directors i think you call it the director yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. So the director would be like how you're like running your goblins or yeah, your, yeah. your orcs or your enemies, your dragons in Dungeons and Dragons. It's it's very much the same. Slashes are an interesting one. It's why they're getting their own expansion, is because they are a solo antagonist, which is odd and is quite interesting mechanically to play. 
Um, how do you do been, that fairly? How do you have a character? Because yeah. obviously he's there to hunt them. How do you mm. do that in a fair manner so they feel like they're getting a chance? So I t- so, so there's various design things that we've kind of like put in for that of um, lots and lots of opportunities to hide. Um, we also design things so like we signal when something is dangerous. So one of the things we constantly mention of being like, if in doubt that your players understand the level of the threat, kill an npc in one go doesn't matter what the health is to demonstrate like have the horror movie moment have somebody beheaded have them shot through the eye of an arrow like have it happen because there's nothing there's nothing that gets players running and hiding and understanding that this is a threat that they maybe shouldn't face directly like a very very sudden death um and, and we've we found that's worked really really well as well i i kind of t- we tend to implement what i call like the smash and grab approach of slashes which is a very movie type thing where they attack they hunt for a certain period then they disappear um for a bit and give the players kind of um kind of downtime as it were they're kind of there for a certain amount of time harassing the players and then they'll disappear um or sometimes they can be like triggering set events that then it kind of has an encounter with them that lasts a certain amount of time and it's only like the finale or through accumulating doom which is another of our mechanics that the slasher then becomes a big permanent stalking threat um and as there's various other things as well of like slashes cr starts very very high as they engage with the story they can discover um, a new mechanic that we're introducing called critical weaknesses. So rather than kind of typical, like kind of damage uh, weaknesses, that means it will do double, double damage or resistances. If they discover a critical weakness and they put it into effect. Um, so for Jason Voorhees, for example, it's discovering that he was drowned um, in the lake and that if you put him, if he gets in an, in an environment that's like water, um, he's really going to struggle and it will put his CR down permanently by one if that's where you're fighting him. So so as soon as you start engaging with the story and finding things out about the different slashes and how that interacts with the world, it then actually helps formulate your player's game plan because then already they're thinking like, oh, that's what happened to him. If he gets wet and, and gets in water, then right, we need to kind of have a showdown with him, you know, in the swimming pool for example, and try and flood it. It gives them a tactic. It gives them something to kind of work with. And there's multiple of those uh, for slashes. So, you know, a slasher can be like CR4 and then start whittling down to two or one or three, depending on what they engage with. But it, it means it makes the process of investigation and playing through the actual movie itself more rewarding because it's their actions and their engagement with the story that allow them to tackle the threat at the end. Um and it's like if they run off into the woods and run away and they don't, you know, engage with, you know, don't ask the question, like, why is this killer doing what they're doing? Um, then then when they face that killer, they're going to they'll they'll find it harder. Um, so, so that's that's a big part of how we balance as well. So it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, listen to it. It sounds fantastic. I mean, coming to uh, what immediately comes to mind is this would be ideal for, for like a game based on Predator. Oh yeah, you could do a pre- Oh so, man, yeah, you could totally do Predator. Oh, dog soldiers. Oh, that even better. Yeah. So on our in our community, one of the first things that somebody put into our Discord as a fan made adventure was their own version of Dog Soldiers, which oh. made me so happy because it is one of my I love that favorite film. horror movies of all time. I love it so much, and it's very like much the energy I want to capture of like 
of, of what it's like to play Shiver. That's a really good tentpole for me. It's Dog Soldiers. Yeah, because um, it's it's a good yeah. sort of the one. The one thing I love about Dog Soldiers is is it's it's got that sort of British. It's the archetypal British black comedy and the black comedy black. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, yeah. Uh, is it what was it? What we call it? it's not black comedy. It's um, dark. Dark. I don't know. It's not even comedy. Dark dark humour. Yeah, yeah, it's got that dark humour to it, but it's like, it does have humour, but it doesn't take the edge off how scary that Mm. film is and stuff. It balances both sides. Yeah, and it it really does balance it out. You get a lot of films where... You know, the too much comedy um, just completely kills the darker edge. Where that film has has it balanced so well, it is funny, but it's terrifying at the same time, and it's such a good sort of kind of a balance. <coughs> yeah, and also just like the writing and the, the characterization is just really is pitch perfect. I always go, go back to Dog Soul, just like this is like the how to write a really good horror film. Because just it's so quotable, right? You look at like the IMDb quotes page for Dog Swords, and it's just huge. <laughs> I hope I give you the fucking shits. <laughs> <laughs> Same to you, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I love the film, and I it sort of very much feels like kind of like lightning in a bottle. You had the right director, you had got the right script by the director, and also the casting as well was brilliant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, good film. Oh, yeah. yeah. Talking. Yeah, about, but sorry. So I was going to say, talking about like horror films. What's your sort of, what's your go-to horror film? What's your sort of kind of like, like your big one? Or if you haven't got a single one, what's your top three? Um, I, I say, uh, yeah. Top top one is always hard. I think the one that does usually end up on the top of the pile, but I'll give some others as well. Um, is John Carpenter's The Thing. Ooh, it's it's one I it's one I revisit so much in terms of a get example of um good writing little smatterings of humor um but also practical gore effects the the creature work is stunning the writing I think sometimes the subtlety um is sometimes kind of a bit overlooked I think of like in terms of like the increasing paranoia the mistrusting of one another the way things are phrased um the kind of layers that it, it that it kind of gives it and the performances are fantastic it's yeah it, it kind of very much catapults it um to kind of being like one of the top ones for me um in terms of like other ones that were like massively influential it's i love that you mentioned president but funnily enough one of our um patron our patron adventure next month is that's our next release is very predator inspired nice. um i would say which involves a uh um oh i shouldn't really spoil it i must say it might it might involve a jungle um it might involve something that's like a predator um and it might involve um our first attempt at doing a hex crawl which involves a roaming creature which is like the predator so in terms of to give you a sense of because we have our attempt to try and show you what it's like to be hunted um of having something moving around a map with you as well um but yes and it was a, as a sidebar but yes predator and alien are two that i put together not because of alien versus predator just to be clear um but because they were two that i was shown um when i was quite young as mm. a kid um for me and my brother like growing up that we 
fell in love with for completely different reasons that and i'd say aliens kind of comes in there as well so it's kind of alien was kind of the real horror experience then predator and aliens were the action, the, the, action. The, yeah the fascinating like action horror combo of um and now like predator i think just like ages like a fine wine in terms of like when you realize what they're actually doing with it of that it is a perfect lampoon of the 80s action cinema of the time yeah, of yeah. that it's just it's just taking these absolutely insanely buff characters who look like they're unkillable and makes them incredibly mortal like uh, like instantly in the face of something that they don't know because it, it's the fact and the fact that you're watching a film where it's arnold schwarzenegger who in every movie up to that point he's felt like he just couldn't be killed couldn't be stopped and then you know, by the end, he's bleeding, nearly dead, covered in mud, and only just manages to survive. I think it just—it it really is pitch perfect for what it is trying to do, and you, I think it's, it's yeah, have fantastic. You wa- have you watched Prey? Prey, I have. I very much enjoyed Prey. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought yeah. for its for its budget and for what it was, it was. I think it's possibly one of the best Predator films. Like, I'm a massive fan of Predator too. As well, mm. I think it's a really you know it's an underrated uh, it's underrated predators actually quite like um, that mm. scene where um, they do the sort of kind of Japanese samurai type sort of standoff thing. I thought was awesome. Mm. That was such a good idea. I, uh, yeah. But um, yeah, prey. I just thought was phenomenal. I I just thought it was such mm. a good idea. I would love them to do a predator film back in sort of like feudal Japan. Or there's a thing where feudal Japan sort of like you know against a samurai or something. I think that would be awesome. I think that would be so. I've good. seen that floated around, isn't it? Because there was a there was a meme floating around of being like, "Hear me out, Hiroki Sanada versus yes, the Predator yes. as a disgraced Ronin, and the Predator's killed his lord." I was like, "Oh, just oh, so, some someone's playing around." Oh, better with that yet, Seven Samurai meets the predator they've done a they've done a they did a fan film um and it's sort of like knights versus the predator and stuff uh it's called predator is it called predator knights actually Uh, dark ages dark ages that's it yeah dark ages yeah and that's it was quite enjoyable i think that whole thing there isn't any there's no guns or anything like that but something like that i think would be pretty epic the one thing i liked about prey was it was sort of like there weren't, you know, you had sort of like matchlocks or flintlocks, sort of like you had sort of basic guns and stuff like that. But there was that more threat because it was mainly just sort of, you know, stone axes and things like that. And mm-hmm. I love the way the Predator wasn't fully evolved to what it is in the, you know, the more modern films and stuff like that. It still had that sort of, it was still advanced, but it wasn't as advanced. And I thought that was, yeah, yeah that's like really good, like really good. Um, horror films wise, um, I, I, I'm a massive, like, fan of films that I don't, if, if it's a great horror film for me, it's, I just won't watch it again because it just fucking mm. scared the shit out of me and stuff. Event Horizon is like, you know, man, gave yeah. me, gave me absolute nightmares. So I thought it was absolutely amazing, but I can't watch that film anymore. <laughs> I like, I'm sure it's really naff now watching it back, but like, I remember watching it in 99 when it came out in the cinema and um, having pure nightmares uh, for, for ages and stuff. That was just like when Sam Neill, like, you know, holding his eyeballs and things and all that stuff. It was such a uh, grim grim film and i have to say and it's probably you know again paranormal activity and it wasn't the whole film it was just just one bit in particular which just kind of 
like i was just like nope it's a bit where she gets dragged out of bed like literally just sort of kind of freaks out and gets trailed out of bed and dragged down the hall and i was just like oh my god that is one of the freakiest things i've ever seen in my life and um yeah, yeah i'm just like yeah okay i don't want to think i want to watch that again <laughs> i mean as, as much as like people bash and rag on like paranormal activity i mean it, it was like sequels into the moon and back yeah. um, i think was, was part of it but i mean like i was i was in my teens like, i was at school when paranormal activity came out and i remember going with a group of friends to go see that and the the phenomenon of it of just how different and scary it was i think like compared to kind of other things like um just that kind of slow burn tension of it um and the kind of found footage element i mean i'm a big found footage nut as well which is so, so like uh, what did you it. think of um blair witch then so like i went to see that in the cinema when it came out what did mm. you think of blair witch so so i think i watched blair witch i i think post probably paranormal activity okay. is, is when when i watched blair witch and i think blair witch is fascinating kind of in terms of cinema history i would say now but bar the last 10 minutes um it does it it does drag and the tension doesn't kind of run as long it's it's one of the things i studied when i was at the university was the viral marketing campaign around the blair witch and the early kind of internet uh, phenomena around it was i i can imagine like for us when we went to go see parentivity um when we were kind of like younger and there was the kind of the big furore around it was probably even more intense around Blair Witch because basically they created like one of the first like internet creepy pastors or, or like kind of internet basically like internet folklore is yeah, what yeah. they did because yeah, yeah, yeah. made they? people think it was real yeah, yeah and yeah. that and that is quite something um so I really appreciate it for that but do I find it scary it, doesn't, or, it hasn't aged like, well but yeah, yeah. yeah I I don't I don't revisit it let's yeah. to, to be frank like, I'd like, re- say yeah that's where I place it I went to see it uh when it came out and um it shows how old I am but um I went I went to see it when i came out with my girlfriend at the time and um like it it had a very polarizing sort of view then like i thought it was amazing like because it was something completely different like you said it had this massive hype behind it it was sort of like when the internet was just about taking off uh and stuff like that so it was just like it was freaky as hell you know Mm. for most horror films it was all about seeing something you saw a bad thing you saw an alien you saw a predator you saw like a nasty thing um you saw like an in thing you you saw a guy's hands getting chewed off from you know when he was doing the compressions and it put matt off fudge until he was sort of 16 years old because you know it made him feel sick but um with with Blair Witch Project, you had something that was completely psychological um, mm. and it was just freaky. And I remember sort of kind of being in the cinema and there's just one guy. He just got up and went, this is fucking shit. And I'm just, what? <laughs> <laughs> what right? well, I was just like, what are you talking about, man? This is amazing. And then I had to yeah. drive home afterwards and I live in like... I don't, I don't believe in ghosts and stuff like that. But at the time, younger and stuff, I sort of, I lived in like what they call like a haunted sort of kind of area in uh, a village in Ballycarry in uh, Northern Ireland, and they had this sort of like building where they used to hang people, like you know, that's sort of like an old, it's like an old, fa- it's a farm building now, but they used to be, they used to hang people from it. My car broke down, or not broke, got a flat tire 
outside that building and I just watched Blair Witch Project and I have never changed a tire faster in my entire life. I was freaking out the whole way there, man. I was just like, no, 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 no. What's going on? And that was grim. And the bit at the, bit at the end where he's literally, you know, where it's just like, I thought just the bit where it's sort of he's sort it's gliding down the stairs this sort of kind of mm-hmm. the way that it's echoing in the background the screaming and it's like it's going distant from the camera and then that guy's just standing in the corner and i was just like fuck me man that's that's freaky and the fact the way the way they did it because i saw a documentary and how they filmed it and they just didn't tell the actors what they were going to do so they made them camp out in the woods and they physically scared them. So when that woman's like dribbling with snot and stuff, she's petrified in general, like really petrified. And so I thought, you know, I've watched it again since, and yeah, it, it doesn't hold up as well. But at the time, for what it was, yeah, groundbreaking, and it was pretty freaky. Yeah. Are, are there any games that, so any types of games that you feel that the shiver system is more mechanically appropriate for want of a better term? Ooh, that's that's an interesting question. I would say, in terms of kind of your approach with horror, I I, I tend to find kind of stuff that that's a little bit pulpier, um, a little bit more B movie. Okay. Um, I I would say it works quite well. So I think your, but it still is very broad. So like I think like your slashes work well, your monster movies work well. Um, we uh, so uh, other writer on the team, Adam. Um, who's done all the slasher stories like we split the book in half so i've done the mechanics and have been editing him and he's been doing the stories um one of the first things he wrote shiver wise that he ran for us as our regular game group um he based off of tremors wow um, but he said it in Set it in the Peak District, made it with giant rabbits, and called it Fumpers. Uh, <laughs> so, that's amazing, and it was fantastic. Yeah, that's great, and I think that's the that's the that that's what I would say is the is the thing is that you can do really scary grounded horror, but you can ramp the silly up real high. Um, but I would say it we you tend to do well with like those big broad archetypal characters like that you know when you think of like the jock the cheerleader um you know the stoner uh you know like the nerdy kid and putting them all into a group and seeing those big personalities work as a dynamic it's those kind of movies that 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 I'd say those horror experiences that work really really well um at its core but i would I would say that. I, I can't really think of one where I could say it falls by the wayside, um, like or, or, or like the mechanics don't serve, um, which makes it quite difficult. Um, I would say, um, I, I, I would say that obviously for all of your more kind of specific horror RPGs out there, so like for Cthulhu, for example, there the level of specificity in the role and the skills that you're doing. And how skilled you are at like at a granular level is or is going to feel way more particular. Um, whilst with Shiver, it explodes out backwards of basically being it kind of you are more skilled in like a broad area rather than like a specific thing. Although certain abilities and our backgrounds and the way you build characters kind of give you that as well. It's loads, I suppose there's loads of options, especially in the yeah. B movie stuff. I was thinking of yeah. like um I was uh, thinking Fear Street, actually. I've mentioned like the recent Fear Street trilogy on Netflix. That sounds like an it could work quite well in that format. The, 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 the what? Sorry, on Netflix. The Fear Street trilogy. Fear Street. Oh yes, there are Stein ones. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's um, it was one of the things that we were really kind of happy to see when it came out because we were like, oh, like this is a 
a multi-generational across multiple time period story and we were like you could run this in shiver and we we i remember we remember us talking about it and being like oh yeah this is perfect and we can kind of use it as a bit of an example now um of basically like doing slashes through time um, which that made us very happy because that's basically a um a, a fundamental core of kind of where our slasher um book stands it's um a multi-generational oh, nice. uh, story but it's kind of exploring the history of slashes but also through the lens of screen and film technology and right. how that's distributed is is all i will say to not spoil anything but that's but that that's kind of the the take on our multi-generational like slasher tale i'm trying to think you, sorry Pete. what you said about the history of slashes reminds me of the nail biter comic series an image oh i've only read the first volume of that actually I it's basically the rest of it. it's yeah. good it's really really good i've read the, read the entire series that um it was the one humble bundle um a few months ago where you could get the entire nail biter collection oh, it. and it was basically like you no know, uh why is this one town in america the birthplace of all these like you know, the birthplace of seal killers so yeah like it kind of looks at the multi-generational aspect and why does it keep coming back for you i'm not going to spoil it because it is really really good uh, read but yeah what you think just really echoes into that and yeah if you get a chance catch up there's loads of there's loads yeah. of sort of like because like, there's loads of uh, angles you can go for especially in old school B-movies and stuff like I remember a film that used to really scare the shit out of me when I was a kid it was called Clown House it's basically about uh, like I don't think it's got a good rating on IMDb but as a kid and obviously clowns they're just freaky but basically a bunch of guys escape a mental asylum uh, kill a bunch of clowns dress up as clowns and go around and kill people and all I can sort of kind of remember watching this uh, probably shouldn't have watched it as a kid but sort of like he goes up to somebody before he kills him and he starts going oh he does this like clown face and he starts going blowing his thumb like you know like a clown would do and then he breaks his neck and i was just like oh what the fuck that's freaky as hell and there's another one again i don't know why i watched these when i was kids and stuff but there was one called booby trap and it's basically like a post-apocalyptic sort of thing about a guy a kid i think or a guy who basically is trying to fight off like or a, a gang using booby traps he creates and stuff like one the one i remember is basically he's got like this seat on a bike and this sort of knife just goes up through it and then gets this guy right in his nuts and i was just like oh it's fucking horrible and stuff <laughs> as a kid there's loads of options man you got stuff like that so yeah that's a really good idea you know if you've got something that's it can basically attach itself to things like that then sky's the limit so the sky's the limit yeah, so I think that that's that was really the thing of like I kept exploring like oh yeah I really want to be able to do Dog Soldiers I really want to be able to do Predator I want to be able to do Halloween I want to be able to do this and it, and then it was kind of I think as we, I was starting out early on I was like and looking at other horror RPGs kind of on the market I, I I was kind of well I don't really want to kind of like like kind of tie myself down anywhere I want to have that freedom to do tremors one night halloween the next and then shoot off in space and do aliens like i think that's that's the beauty of it that's the yeah. freedom of it yeah, and yeah. and also i think represents horror cinema in particular the best like like you just described in terms of that the amount of zany wild and broad ideas that sit in all these fantastic little subgenres um can be explored and it's kind of what I've been wanting to try and do with Shiver and then through the expansions that we're doing and stuff we're doing on a Patreon is encourage people to like go and explore those subgenres, like go and find 
new movies go and watch the strange movies that like you know aired at like 1 a.m that you kind of saw an hour of when you were a kid and you kind of half remember yeah, yeah, like yeah. go and find those films i mean like for me me and my brother were talking about this of um of remembering the top shelf of the video rental store yeah really lurid strange covers um and it's like now as an adult i'm going back and trying to remember what those are and watching those and they are I mean, like I saw I do a regular night called Beer and B Movies with my friend Ben, yeah. and it is a wealth of um, inspiration. But also, it kind of has this thing where it's like these movies are flawed; they've got problems. But for me, I am someone who's like made films and stuff like that. I love all the flaws and the effort and the the real kind of like punky nature of horror movies that they were made on a dime and people were like working together and throwing everything they've got at it even though they barely had any money um to kind of make these movies and there's always gold there's always gold in these films somewhere um and it's not and sometimes you like land on something that's an absolute gold mine like just uh, a film that you've never heard of and is just fantastic and you're just kind of like, why is no one talking about this? And it's because it came out in the wrong era. It was buried through censorship. It's that there's so much stuff with horror that is, it's not fully disappeared, but it's it's very close. Like it's kind of near being lost media to a certain degree, and that fascinates me. And I kind of want to encourage people to go and, you know, delve into the depths of Prime Video, uh, where it seems a lot of this stuff seems to go to to die yeah uh, have you ever seen yeah. um you ever seen a film called ghost it was a, it was a stage show it was um a play even called ghost stories mm. um what's nyman N- yes N- uh mm. the go- oh, andy, andy nyman nyman yeah andy, nyman and andy, andy nyman yeah 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 have you have you seen it or have you seen the yes, play? I- I've I've seen I've seen the film adaptation. I've not seen the play. Yeah, yeah. I would have liked to have seen the play actually. That for me yeah. is like I I went to see that when it came out, and mm-hmm. um, I I'm not. It's not like I don't hate horror. It's just like you know, it's got to be a situational thing for me. I don't. I, I I'm more of a sort of like going to watch sort of. I'm one of the superheroes, sci-fi type things, but a good horror film I'll, I'll go and watch. So I went, because it was Halloween, so me and my girlfriend at the time thought we'll go and watch it. Like, she didn't like it, but I've never, I it blew my mind how how deep that film was and all the interlocking bits. And because obviously Darren Brown's, he basically does Darren Brown's stage show and stuff like that. And it's all about sort of how the brain, how your mind sort of um, affects things and stuff like that. And they sort of tied in a lot of the sort of kind of the reality of what horror is with sort of, you know, jump scares and freaky stuff going on and had possibly one of the best sort of, you know, that bar that and maybe the Babadook, it had sort of like one of the best sort of like endings. Like my mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time hated it because she's like, well, that just seems really fucking pointless. And so why would you do that? And I was like, that's absolutely genius. I wrote an article for it on the website. Like I was just gushing, mm-hmm. gushing about it and how, how it all linked together and how that point links to this point. If you, t- you take this into this and you look back mm-hmm. on it. And I thought, you know, f- as a film mm-hmm. as well, because it, it's meant to be about sort of like the horror is in the reality the horror is what's in your in your mind and how you are sort of um thinking about Proce- it process- processing it and stuff and how sort of like you know it is literally a trick of the mind it is sort of like you know you got the whole darren brown thing it's about the fragility of the human brain and how it can do these sort of things and create situations and stuff uh but it's 
it is it's it it was it was scary to watch and stuff like it was freaky to watch there's parts in it and it's just like fucking hell man that film had so many levels to it it was scary but it was thought inducing and again like the babadook i'm not sure if you've ever seen the babadook before oh yeah oh, yeah, seen no, the, I, yeah the babadook yeah it. again so babadook's pretty freaky but it's got a really sort of like the the ending and i'll not ruin it for anybody who's not seen it but the ending's just a bit sort of like, what the fuck? And, but the thing is, you go when you read about it, and you're like, so it has a meaning. And then mm. once you get that meaning, you're like, ah, it makes sense. Love in the subtext. Yeah, it all sort of kind of it plays actually, in. Actually, one thing uh, you mentioned about um, the uh, the era when like, films are speed, that was going back to the video, uh, video nasty area of like the 80s and early 90s. And yeah, there's loads of films from that time that just vanish because censorship, you know, moral panic. I mean, think that one of my favourites from that time is Split Second, starring Rutger Hauer. Which one was that? What's Split Second? That has been on my B&B movie list for a while, and I've still not seen it. So oh, it's great. This, this, will now, this will now put it straight up to the top of my what, roster. What was Split Second about yeah. again? Split Second was basically Blade Runner meets Alien. But it's like, it's like flooded London, isn't it? Flooded London. London. Yeah, it rings a bell. 2012, um, Rutger Hauer plays this hardball cop um, hunting down this serial killer that is ripping out the hearts of its victims. And it has probably one of the best ever armory scenes ever. Right, okay, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not gonna spoil yeah. it because years ago that was just brilliantly done. Also from that time, I recommend, I am, the, I am that old, I remember it quite well, is Project Shadow Chaser, which is basically Terminator meets Die Hard. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Shadow Chaser. Project Shadow Chaser. Yeah, it's, yeah, and you've also got, uh, yeah, the, yeah, there's loads, and also you've got the uh, Chances films. The Trances films, yeah, Trances. I don't think I've they're heard more of science. That. They're more science fiction time mm. travel, but there's a distinct horror element because mm. of the Trances themselves. But yeah, it's like yeah. So what you said about there's loads of films at that time mm. from Video Nasty that just mm. got canned. I think you're you're landing on a really interesting point. Like you said that like with Trances, that you said there's more of a sci-fi element there, but there's still horror in there. Yeah. And this is kind of a point as well that I want to make with Shiver because it's a kind of how I feel about horror cinema and trying to unweave some of this negative past that we kind of have with horror of people seeing it as being trash, uh, like mor- morally bad, um, something, yeah. something you know that's going to inspire violence. You know, all all of this like kind of that moral panic, the kind of from the fat right era, the video nasty era. Um, still echoes down to this day. Like it still causes problems. A lot of people kind of see horror as the bottom of the bin when it comes to, I guess, like the hi- hierarchy of like cinema. Even though I yeah. think that's absolute nonsense. There's a real snobbery around it. I think uh, is a thing, and a lot of people be uh, will very staunchly say, "I don't like horror. I'm I'm not a fan of horror." And in my head, it's kind of like, okay. Um, do you watch Stranger Things? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I really love Strange Things. It's like, okay, it's that's a horror series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fundamentally, that's a horror series. Um, and it's like, did you like Jurassic Park as a kid? So, like, oh yeah, I love Jurassic Park, I love dinosaurs. It's like that is a horror film. Like in terms of it's structurally, 
it's monsters. I mean, I mean, it is um, it's what we're exploring with our horror expansion, Shiver Blockbuster, and um, what I call Spielbergian peril. Um, it is low blood, low gore. Yeah. There is death, but it usually happens off screen. Um, the threat is high, but the blo- blood and body count is relatively low. Um, but it is still horror in terms of like down to how it's structured the archetypal characters that emerge within it um it shares so much of its as as much dna um as it does with alien as it does with with kind of other movies but people don't see it that way they want to see it as a spielberg film and not a horror film because as soon as and and marketing also pushes it that way because if you describe Jurassic park as a horror film it instantly turns off certain people because of the snob element turns well you look at like the the raptor scenes where they kind of yeah that's she plays out of alien replaced that with like the xenos and it is seen for like essentially seen for seen a replication of alien yep. yeah yeah and, and there's a load of stuff with, with the elongated shadows the stuff like it's pulling from nosferatu and, yeah. and, and very and like much older cinema as well that kind of has it has its horror roots and i, I think it, it's the interesting thing where it, it's a, a generational thing that has been passed down of that like horror is amoral trash uh, that we're really wanting to try and shake. Um, and we're kind of having it shaken up now with a lot of the A24 releases where this idea of prestige horror has emerged, which personally, I hate. I don't like that as an idea. Um, horror is horror. People are only just kind of waking up to the fact that actually horror is one of the most socially conscious genres there is. If you want to say something about the world, um, like horror, horror, honestly, I think shakes people the most i mean look at get out uh, yeah. like, and, and the stir that caused mm. um as a movie there's there's so many uh kind of movies that like kind of take the anxieties of the world and and put it kind of on screen horror is is the genre that's going to do that yeah fear street actually had the, the two main characters were lgbt mm, yeah again and they and they were the front and center and i love that um have are you aware of you know do you know quad in derby quad yes yeah have you been to their paris cinema festival um i i i'm aware of it i missed it last year because i was away so i'm intending Ah. to try and go this year hopefully um because i managed i've managed to go to mayhem in nottingham uh, which is a big big horror one that's great um anyone who's a horror fan in the nottingham area i'd really recommend mayhem uh, really really good run, run at the broadway cinema um in nottingham uh, lace market um but yes but paris cinema at the quad is one i've been wanting to get to as well i didn't know about me i'm gonna check that one out actually I'm trying to think have you ever seen uh pet cemetery one of the, uh, the film pet Cemetery, not the, the book oh yeah yeah no it's, i'm a i'm a big fan of like the king films yeah yeah and and the books like i've been slowly kind of working my way through everything he's written yeah. uh, over time you know we, out of, you know one book out of every five i'll do a do a stephen king where i can yeah, yeah. pet cemetery and pet cemetery tree freak me out again i don't know why i watched all these when i was a kid and stuff but yeah they they really sort of like scared this shit out of me there was one which i sort of there's one called cat's eye i think which is like a three oh the anthology film yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah i think it's yeah, so like good so you've basically got and like um i can't remember what there was basically there was one um so one about a, a gargoyle um which has an amazing sort of kind of twist at the end the gargoyle one uh you got a one i think it might have be steve Fashimi in it but he's i, I think 
I'm not sure. Does it have Steve Buscemi in it? I'm going to have to find it now to see if it's got Steve Buscemi in it. Um, but it's... Let's see. Looks at the cast here. Um, mm. No, it doesn't. I, to be honest, <laughs> to be fair, we're out bump. But um, he, uh, the guy, one of the main guys in it, sort of finds a scroll for a mummy, and the mummy goes around and fucking kills people and stuff. And that, you know, just, you know, a very sort of kind of... I remember that visage, and then uh, there's the one where there's the little gnome thing that basically tries to steal the little girl's breath, and the cat mm. uh, it has to protect her and stuff. That's quite it. Yeah, 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 yeah. and that's yeah. that's good. One thing I really liked about what you've been saying earlier was about how you have a age rating system in your game. I mean, I'm a fan, um, I'm a dad of three, and just like I like to run games for my children, so actually having a, an age rating system and a mechanic for the level of the con the type of content in there is really appreciated oh thank you yeah i I think it's the thing i've noticed is that um when it comes to like the general like knowledge i think of tabletop role playing existing like being something that you can kind of get into there's role play clubs at schools now it was something i was kind of very aware of of that I, a, a bit like how I was introduced to a lot of this kind of like cinema by my mum, like Jaws, Predator, Alien. Someone is probably a little too young, but hey ho, you know. <laughs> she, 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 uh, I, I stand by it. She, she made the right decision. I, I, I think we wouldn't be here now if, if she hadn't shown me those films. But um, I would have loved to have had a role playing club like when i was at school yeah. um, but the, but that never was really a thing um but the the thing that i was very aware of, of that like providing those experiences for younger players i think is really really important because the the broad scope and scale of like what is out there and the kind of stories that are out there i mean D D is D D um it's 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 got market dominance uh, and but that, i think the thing that that we don't really talk about as much as most of it's a lot of angry fish shaking at wizards of the coast but one of the things that it's actually doing is that it does keep quite a stranglehold on the genre of storytelling that people assume is the only thing that tabletop role-playing can do is high fantasy and i think that that is sometimes a bit concerning and i think for me making kind of horror more accessible to younger kids I think is really important because also I have this because I had this when I was like writing uh, films kind of more frequently and like figuring out because we were trained to like how to place stuff in the BBFC rating system. So if I needed to write something for a 12A, I knew what I needed to go in, what needed to go out. So I take the same approach um, uh, with me. Adam is also someone who trained on the same course as me. So he has the same training as well. So when we sit down, we decide what the age rating is. and, and then, But then we both instantly know and have that dialogue and that knowledge that, okay, if it's if it's 12A, this, 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 and this can't be in there. For example, like and it was a fifteen that opens a band. If it's eighteen plus, it's pretty much like gloves are off. Do what you want. Um, is is kind of where it lands. So, so yeah, no, I think it's really important. But I think for kids, the thing I learn, and it's um, this is my experience as well. Kids like to be a little bit scared. Mm. I mean, you take Jurassic Park again as an example. That Velociraptor scene is seared into my brain from when I watched that when I was like six, um, and it scared the crap out of me the first time I saw it, but it's a movie I would go back to again and again and again and again. Um, and I think for horror films are really important and horror in general is really important for getting people to know and understand fear in a safe and accessible environment. Um, 
and 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 it, and and you know it, it is a way kind of like exploring yourself and your limits and, and your own fears um as well and i think the, the kind of the moral panic of like no we should we like people shouldn't be kind of scared at all i think is wrong it's like no we can't avoid that but cinema games literature like that explores horror allows us to do that in so many different ways in a safe way in an engaging way in a socially conscious way um that i think shouldn't be ignored and i think especially yeah. for younger players as well yeah i think yeah, sorry, the... sorry pete carry on no like um i was doing some research on the psychological benefits of role-playing games and just it kind of expanded out into media as well at one point but also what especially in role-playing the uh, uh the experiences we have in the game are registered autobiographically even though we know ourselves that the what the incident is fictional we've we recall them as if they happened to us, even though, like I say, it was pure fantasy. So it kind of reinf- it acts as a, a source of experience and knowledge of learning and to further understand your own responses in that situation and how you would react. And again, it becomes a learning platform. Like I, like, I agree with you. Like, as a kid, like there was, you know, I think it, there, there's two ways you go when you're a kid, especially if you're into geeky stuff. It is the high fantasy, like sci-fi sort of direction, which is effectively is high fantasy just in space. Or there's the horror side of things. And I remember very sort of vividly as a child growing up um, and having like this thing we called Ghost Club, where we'd because we lived in a haunted forest and there was ghost stories flying around everybody. And me and my brother and my friends were really into that sort of thing and stuff. But... You know, when we came to it playing games, it was always high fantasy. And then we did play D&D and we did uh, board games. It wasn't There was no real horror side of things to go into. And to be honest, the first time I ever played a horror RPG was one I was pushed into by my website um, when we played uh, Call of Cthulhu. Um, and I'm glad I played it because and that was only what, six, six years ago, seven years ago? Um, and I'm really glad I played it because that was an amazing game and, and it was completely different to what I'd done before. But like you said, you grow up in high fantasy and you sort of kind of stick with it and stuff and there's no real... At the time, I don't think, you know, for me growing up, there wasn't really any other real options and stuff. Yeah, but now I mean, there's, been, there's been the Curse of Strahd and like Ravenloft setting in yeah. D&D, which it's, it's introduced a Hammer Horror-esque horror. Yeah, into the D and D setting, but I don't know how effective it is, really. To be honest, how how have you found that, uh, Charlie? So, so, so my experience of Curse of Strahd, especially now, and I've like kind of read through Strahd. Um, I've not played a game of Strahd actually. It's been one that I've been kind of wanting to do because I'm quite yeah. curious about it. But my my two takeaways from it have, have kind of been this: is that it it does smack still slightly i think even with the kind of revamping of that there was a cultural <laughs> difference uh back in the t- back in the ttrpg space like in the 80s and stuff like where this spawned from where it was more not gm and players telling a story together more gm versus players trying to murder them um and there is still an element of that there not as much as like tomb of annihilation but it's it's there um definitely and for me like the big thing that it relies upon because obviously like you can start at lower levels but then you build a kind of into higher levels it's still pretty deadly um it's very very random and i think 
the way that it develops its fear is very interesting because it's not one i necessarily agree agree with it it it, the fear comes from the taboo nature of character death in D&D and it being a bit more deadly, a bit more unpredictable um, than other kind of D&D modules and more punishing, more punitive um, kind of in that way. And it's let, but the, this is my, but I do think like atmospherically, I love Hammer Horror stuff as well. Like atmospherically, Strahd's a fantastic villain. Like he's just a great like archetypal vampire. Um, I love my kind of vampire stuff. Um, and and like the setting and the exploration element of it, I think is really really fascinating. But I think my takeaway from it is that that core fear is um, the fear is people losing their characters. Yeah, um, that it's they, not the that fear. they put it's, X amount of yeah. time into. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think all, yeah, I rather think... than being actually scared, scared of the horror of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it is. It's more my feeling on it. Because I think also like D and D as a system does not mechanize horror. No, very well. For example, you don't have the sanity mechanic like you're having in Call of Cthulhu, or the humanity mechanic you're getting like Vampire. So there's no kind of mechanical representation of the psychological impact of what you're experiencing and the horror element. So yeah, it's like it feels like. Well, like we said, like D and D doesn't give you fear because the fear is you might you will die, yeah. and the fear is you'll sort of um you you could die very easily. Whereas in D and D, you can do a lot of stupid shit and probably get away with it and come out, you know, and sort of mosey along. Whereas Call of Cthulhu and what would seem like your 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 shiver the shiver games you're dying you, in Call of Cthulhu is considered a good thing because yeah. yeah. usually you doubt you go insane <laughs> first. You know what? My character went insane. Um, we got to the very and like and it was <clears throat> we did a whole like it was a one shot. It was really good. Ended up in a house, uh, a cottage, and we had to do a ritual, and um, it literally came down to the wire, and it was like we had to keep the ritual going, and my guy went mad, and sort of like, sort of stopped the ritual and went off, uh, babbling nonsense, so I was pretty much out of the game, and it was all down to the last guy who, he'd gone, he got insanity points, to the point, so he was like psychopathic or something, but he sort of reasoned with the DM, said, look, right, fine, I am this character, but is it, I'm all about my self-interest. Therefore, is it not my self-interest to carry on the ritual? So fine, I don't care about any of these people, but I care about myself. And therefore, if I, I know that if I don't do this, I'm going to die. Therefore, I want to carry it on and then fuck these guys. I don't care. And he said, yeah, yeah. you're right. Okay. And we did it. And he carried on ritual and he won the game for us. But like the rest of us were like, he was just like, yeah, so... But you're you're insane and in a mental asylum you know you're dead and this stuff and it was just like wow that's that was cool that was really good yeah i I think we want to get kind of real technical kind of psychology on it in terms of like what elements of fear like different rpgs are kind of like playing on D&D pretty much is playing entirely on the fear of extinction like like just just death like in terms of we're talking like primordial fears like there's five um Cthulhu I think is interesting because like extinction is becoming the better option um rather than you know you can be looking at pretty much the four others so you've got mutilation loss of autonomy separation and ego death at the four others all of which can happen in Cthulhu yeah, in yeah. different and extremely horrifying ways and are much worse ways to go or lose yourself um as a person um 
so I think that that's a really interesting way of looking at it is what kind of core baselines of fear do different TTRPGs play on? Do they focus on one more than another? I mean, like Vampire, um, in a way, is is ego death in certain ways but it's ego death in terms of like the death of humanity is ego which which is fascinating so so in terms of what i would say you'd like kind of cthulhu definitely lands in kind of like loss of autonomy there's that possessionary element as well as the the losing of your mind and lose and losing control and it being given over to something else that uh, can control you again again though that loss of autonomy could apply to vampire because it's all about kind of controlling the beast and hmm. like if you feel like you know, control the beast, then you lose control of your character. It goes into murderous hmm. rage, and that is considered a bad thing, generally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I, I think that's the this this is the thing is that um, horror focused RPGs are always going to engage more with the primordial elements of horror yeah. um, that go beyond death, because death is our baseline of what we're afraid of. But there's so much more to fear as creepy as that maybe makes me sound because i yeah. sound excited about it but there is a lot more to it there, there's um there's a lot more elements that you can prod and you can poke with characters to play around with that to kind of introduce like interesting character moments i mean in shiver one of the mechanical things we make you do with every character you make is you have to pick a fear we don't tell you what the fear has to be we generally say like try and make it sensible like where you can although like i had someone who made who said they were afraid of the color orange and i made them regret it you can believe the, <laughs> the, the big the the monster that teleported into the it was trump was, wasn't was hunting it? It, them. it was trump yeah <laughs> um, I, I i wish i'd thought about that because that would have been great but had um, a large eyeball that was going to work like a searchlight originally that was going to be purple i just changed that color to orange like straight away and it was like as soon as that started shining and started hunting for them they became afraid the mechanical thing in shiver is um you're either stable afraid or terrified when you're afraid you lose one dice from every roll um when you're terrified you lose two um but you never lose your talent die um like so so you can lose like certain elements of skill so the idea is is that it represents you know the moments in horror movies where you're trying to get the car started and you're fumbling the keys for example um you know like you're you're you can't like you into it was a hearts check to convince someone to come along with you you start to kind of stutter and stammer because you start to lose control um kind of when you're afraid so 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 that's how we mechanically represent fear um for for us um so we, so we don't do sanity but we do how afraid are you um is 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 is, is where we kind of position people because when you're terrified you become mechanically it is much better for you to run away, hide, calm down, um, or get yourself in a safe position, or you know, lock the monster somewhere so you can take a moment to breathe and then get more of your your kind of function back um, by being stable. So yeah, so so that's just, just quickly on the shift thing. That's how we handle fear. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a really good mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I mean, where does Shiver go from here? Like, as I understand, you've done the Kickstarter, it's been mm. successful, you have, and, and it's now you kind of you're working on the next Kickstarter for it. Am I correct? Um, so, so currently, um, 
so in in terms of kind of where Shiver is currently, so the core system has been out for the past couple of years. Um, so so we kickstarted that. Year after that, we kickstarted um, Shiver Gothic, which is our my love letter to like Hammer Horror mm. Universal Monsters. Gives you rules for playing as the Universal Monsters. So if you want to do your League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Monster think, Squad, yeah. you a BPRD. I'm a massive Hellboy nut. Um, like you can team up your monsters with your human characters from like the kind of core book and you know you can do that and the beauty of it is is we we give you a big setting that you can use for that but like anything in shiver it's like a plug-in so you could take the monsters and you could bprd it put it in the modern day put it in the 60s put it in the 70s you know if you've got a fish man they can exist whenever you want them to exist like it can be medieval it can be in space um that's a, the kind of fun of it and then the year after that uh, we moved to game found and we funded our double feature release which is shiver slasher uh, for our horror diehards and shiver blockbuster so that's going to be two big hardcover like expansion books with new rules and a big focus on like stories um as well like interlinking stories um as well as two starter boxes as well um so, so to try and kind of onboard people kind of more easily so that's going to be a condensed um uh kind of rule book which unlike other starter sets uh we include premium character sheets with pre-made characters um but we also give you character creation up to level five because character creation is so easy in Shiver, we want to show it off. We want we want you to engage with it um, and have fun with it. We do, we just kind of condense it a little bit um, and kind of cut it in half, really, um, and take out like multi-classing and, and, yeah. and that. And, when's um, that and each one has a unique adventure depending on wh- where we've chosen the slasher or blockbuster. So if you want a kid-friendly one, we've got dinosaurs uh, for blockbuster. <laughs> if you want slasher, we've got our classic. Um, we've got Return to Camp Blood, which is a sequel to a slasher movie you've never seen um as as adam has has put it to me um, nice. which, is, which i have played and is extremely fun um it's very very good um so yes sorry you had a where, where when's that being released sorry so so that's gonna be um we're just finishing up um kind of digital files now um so we'll be releasing like digital files to our backers probably over the next three to four months um and then early next year like first quarter or early second quarter um physical rollout will start to backers and from that after we fulfill to backers then it rolls out into stores um in in, in in the uk and it's like where we can kind of in all the other territories as well we always try and prioritize um getting stuff to backers first um and, and then do our store rollout awesome and that you can check that all out on parabellgames.co.uk Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So you can check that all out on parablegames.co.uk. But um, in terms of our next actual release, um, so early October um, on Kickstarter, we're going to be launching our first solo RPG um, called Don't Play This Game. Brackets, <laughs> please do. Um, so in terms of that, that conversation we were having about uh, found footage horror, this is a solo RPG of found footage horror um, where if you ever had like a chain letter or a chain email where it says pass this on or, or you'll die the idea of this is is that an entity has found you um, and it's going to play a game with your life where it makes terrible things happen and it forces you to record them um the, the whole thing with this is is that like like with uh, solo rpgs it has a journaling element but it also tells you to put the book down take a photo draw something creepy make a little artifact uh, that you found in your story so it becomes more of a game of scrapbooking horror um and a way that uh, we've kind of been pitching it to people because it asks you to go outside um if, if it's safe and, and you're kind of able to um to kind of pokemon go finding the blair witch um is, is how we have put it um so and the whole idea of this is though if your character dies 
um, or they survive, your record or your cursed adventure gets you can pass it on to someone else. So if someone has the the rule book, um, you can pass it on to them to be like, here's my record, you are now cursed. And then they can read your record and then use that as a jumping off point. So what we want to explore is through solo RPG play, how do we build a community and network of interlinked horror stories that creates that, like with the Blair Witch, that um, self-functioning and, and organically growing folklore. It sounds a lot like the legacy-based board games. All right, yeah. Mm. Where you kind of like, you know, as the game goes on and progresses, but it's based on like, you know, what the players have like done, done in previous sessions. And I mean, yeah, I've, I've had a try of it and actually it's a lot of fun. I mean, I love the design of it. The design really just nails that sort of grungy um homebrew horror springs the best way i can phrase it yeah it's really nicely done like so i've had a, I've had a little play of it and really liked it yes well no, it's, it's um in terms of that grungy kind of homemade horror a lot of it is me making congratulations your cursed it's because it is all grungy and homemade we're doing a real focus on like practical handcrafted yeah. elements like yeah, digitizing yeah. them and bringing them in and that practical articles to give it that that as, as much tactility as possible because i think i i've really enjoyed um solo rpgs and exploring a lot of them and there's nothing wrong with ones that i think are like solo journaling like i think they're very cathartic and very relaxing but for my design process i really wanted to bring this tactile element like into the solo world of like and you basically i was just like how can i scare myself shitless um it was, was was my big design question with this one how can i really spook myself out um and that's been the threads that's been taking us through don't play this game oh, yeah and you really do work quite well i think so like seven you really enjoy playing this i'm looking forward to how you you know how it develops Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, with Don't Play This Game as well, um, I'll, I'll mention we have a site for it. Uh, the quick start uh, that you've played, Peter, um, is available. Um, you can sign up to our mailing list and it will and it will ping you over um, a free copy to play. Um, it basically gives you 10 chapters to play through in sequence. In the actual book, you'll be rolling dice, you'll be moving through it randomly. So you'll never have the same experience twice. It'd be pretty near statistically impossible for that to happen okay. um so, so you'll be interacting with it in, in a different way so it's not a linear chain um when you're when you're playing through the actual book there, there's a, a randomization element uh, to the experience to help you keep generating new stories every time you play so yes so that quick starts available now um our follow page is also live on kickstarter so if that's something you're interested in um you can follow us and you'll be notified when the project goes live um in early october um, so yes, yeah, so, so that will be our next project. Uh, that's funding. Awesome, excellent. Sounds uh, sounds really good. Um, okay, so um, before before we go, um, we usually do a. It's sort of like a twenty question sort of quiz type thing that we do, and it's um, um, basically we pick a you pick a franchise. Um, it can, a nerdy franchise you can be horror for yourselves. Obviously, something that the other people who are playing may have. A, a chance of guessing um so i am i might choose star wars or i might choose um you know that's uh, some other film or something like that you name the film and then you've got to guess a character and you've got uh 60 seconds to do that so um i need you to think of a franchise preferably one we think we might on we might be able to sort of guess the character for um and then we'll give you 60 well 60 seconds and we have to ask you questions to try and guess 
who the character is. Um, for an example, I, I can start you off uh, mm. with one, which will be Predator. So it's going to be a relatively easy one because there's not a lot of characters in Predator. Um, but um, let me just do stopwatch. Right, so you've got 60 seconds to try and guess who the character is. You can ask me all the questions. Uh, ask, ask me questions. I'll say yes or no uh, or elaborate. And you've got 60 seconds. So 60 seconds, Predator, go. In the first film? Yes. Uh, does he take part in a muscular handshake? He does not take part in a muscular handshake. Okay. Okay, does he carry a Gatling gun? He does not carry a Gatling okay. gun. Um, does he have his spine ripped out? Um, does he have a spine ripped out? I can confirm he dies, but I can't remember if he is. He gets his spine ripped out. I'm going to say possibly. Possibly. Okay. Um, are they one of the one of the special forces soldiers? Yes. Right. Okay. Um. It's not oh, many of them. Come on! I, I've never seen Predator. You've not what? You've never seen Predator, Peter. Peter. Uh, um, is 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 his name shouted repeatedly at any point? Um, <laughs> I think I if it's this one, no, it's not. Right. And it's that's not, sixty. Not, so it's not Mac. It's not Mac. <laughs> Mac. Mac. <laughs> it's not Mac. Okay, so your sixty seconds are up. You've got one more question, and then you've got to guess. Okay. Um. I've only seen Predator 2 and 3. Every other Predator film is not this one. Okay, you've I'm not seen guess. the original. You've not seen the original Predator film. Peter! Okay. Come on, man. That's is your it homework. Mac? It's not Mac. Is it Hawkins? It is Hawkins. So oh, that is a lucky... You just you just Googled things now, you little, you little bitch. I've never seen <laughs> it. I've ruined it. Get it gone is, you know, the one who tells the story. It's like, I was going down on my girlfriend, and it's like, geez, you got a big pussy. Geez, you got a big pussy. He says, why did you say that twice? I didn't. And then, you know... That's, uh, I was, I was, I was going to get... Cause my question was going to be, is it play, Is he played by Shane Black? Shane Black, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I tell you what, that joke when I was a kid, right, when I first watched Predator, and I'm like, like, why is he talking about big cats because obviously i'm a kid and i'm not sitting mm-hmm. i was like why well, don't i don't understand the joke and why is billy so amused by this joke <laughs> but yeah yes uh, it was peter who's not seeing predator and your bloody google guess you cheater <laughs> right anyway go and watch predator man jeez what the hell that's like a, a must watch film um right okay pete what have you got for me oh oh okay um I'll look at the wall, the wall of shame. Charlie, have you have you got one that you can think of? By uh... um, I could I could definitely do one for Alien. Okay, uh, okay, yeah. yeah, okay. So, uh, Alien, um, sixty seconds, go. So, uh, original film. Uh, yes. Um, are they? Um, are sort of male? Are they male? Yes. <laughs> are they androids? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dash. Yeah, it's yeah. a dash. 16 seconds. Yeah. It's a re-record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you okay. gotta, yeah. 
No, this is one where Pete's going to do something really obscure. I'm going to go with Alien again. Okay. But markedly Aliens. Okay, right, okay. So Alien franchise, Alien franchise is what I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. Aliens, 60 seconds, go. Okay, so uh, are are they in the second film? Yes. Okay. Are they Colonial Marine? No. Um, are they part of the Wielangitani um, Corporation? Not directly. Ooh. Um, are they a child? Yes. Ah, is it Newt? Newt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one of Pete's. He either does really, really obscure or like yeah. pretty easy. So there you go. <laughs> I win. I win. <laughs> there you go. Right. Um, it's been a pleasure, uh, Charlie. Really insightful stuff. Uh, your your game sounds uh, sounds really really good. Like really interested in that. And uh, everybody, please uh, please check it out. Um, Parablegames.co.uk. Um, what was the other one? Sorry, you had coming up. What was the other website? Um, so it's, uh, don't play this game. So, so if you go on our social media through Civil RPG, we're on Twitter or X, whatever it's called, um, at Games Parable, uh, we're there too, and at Shiver RPG on Instagram. Uh, we're, po- we're posting about that kind of now all the time, so you can find all the links uh, to Don't Play This Game, the Kickstarter follow page. If you, search, if you search Don't Play This Game on Kickstarter as well, you'll find it there too. All right, awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, good luck. Um, yes, and by all means, when you've got something more, uh, please do come back on. Or if you just want to come back, hey, come back on at Halloween. And we can talk more horror films and, and stuff like that. We usually have a Halloween uh, special, what yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, for for me, uh, being Matt Geary, uh, with me has been the person who hasn't seen Predator uh, and is going to watch it for the next episode. Or at least you're going to have watched Predator by Halloween, Pete. That's your homework. <laughs> I'm off to the chopper. Yeah, <laughs> Peter A. Allison. <laughs> Good night, everyone. And our guest, Charlie Menzies. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Night, everybody. Bye. Bye.